Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, my name is Jeremy Casebeer, and this is Our Impact, the show that explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can scale positive outcomes and solutions. Today's episode is brought to you by Fat Tire Amber Ale, America's first carbon neutral beer, one of my favorite brands. They've been B Corp certified since 2013 and the first brewery to join 1% for the planet. To learn more about their initiatives around sustainability, visit drinksustainably.com. My conversation today is with Noah Walker, Director of Product and Business Development at Indigo Carbon. We discuss the massive opportunity that regenerative agriculture has as a climate solution, as a more resilient and sustainable way of farming in a changing climate, and as a way to help farmers become more profitable. Through Indigo Carbon, the world's first verified soil carbon credit, farmers can earn an additional revenue stream. Farmers may not traditionally be thought of when thinking about climate solutions, and soil carbon credits may not be thought of as a way of revitalizing rural communities, but this connection is becoming more apparent. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Noah Walker, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I've been studying a lot about regenerative agriculture and feel like I'm beginning to have a somewhat of an understanding, but really looking forward to diving in today. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, Jeremy, and thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm excited about what you're putting together here with this podcast. Yeah. So you are the Director of Product and Business Development for Indigo Carbon. Can you just give a little context about Indigo Ag, Indigo Carbon? How would you describe that to your average person off the street? What do you do? And yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and great question, because Indigo can be a little bit of a, a complicated place and story. So let me do my best here. You know, I think the easiest and most simple way to describe Indigo is it's an agricultural technology company. Um, we're headquartered in Boston. We have commercial operations in Memphis. And increasingly, we have a presence globally, although we're still focused mostly in the U.S., but have operations in Brazil, recently opened headquarters in Basel in Europe and a, and a joint venture in, in Mumbai, for example. We were founded in 2014. And probably the most important thing to just take away about Indigo is we are an explicitly mission-driven company. The mission is harnessing nature to help farmers sustainably feed the planet. And, and very explicitly, every single decision at Indigo comes down to three stakeholders. It comes down to farmers and farmer profitability, two, sustainability of agriculture and delivering for the planet, and three, consumer health, and we're still a privately held company, so raising money, you know, with investors, you know, that believe that if we deliver against those three stakeholders, we'll build a valuable company in addition to having outsized impact on agriculture and the planet. To get a little more explicit about our offerings and what we do and a little bit of the story of Indigo, we basically help growers connect directly with buyers of grain you know, do price discovery based on what they're offering in terms of, you know, maybe a different sustainability practice. Maybe it's a local sale and a buyer wants to buy locally and they're looking for, you know, a grower in their area. You know, we help make a more direct connection rather than just the, the aggregation of, you know, of all grains. And then, you know, we got to get things from A to B and our transport network, frankly, is, is, is not really anything new. It's, it's like Uber for grain offers. We don't own the assets, but, you know, if a, you know, delivery person has a open, in delivery on a backhaul will aggregate pickups. They can accept the, the pickup based on the offer and, and deliver things from A to B. So again, technology driven um, and really working on this you know, overall theme of decommoditization around agriculture you know, in order to meet those um, elements of our mission. 
And then the most recent business, but increasingly a focus of our company and the place that I work is Indigo Carbon. And Indigo Carbon grows out of our, as we started to get to know growers through marketplace, through our microbial business that were, you know, really applying a completely different way of growing. And, you know, this, the zeitgeist is now starting to recognize what regenerative ag is, but this was a little bit before this, a little bit before the 2019 IPCC report that really, you know, highlighted the potential of soil carbon as a carbon sink. And don't get me wrong, we, we, we really benefited from that uh, for sure. But it was, uh, it was before that, you know, these are growers who are adopting practices like, you know, cover crops, like no-till agriculture or low-till agriculture that don't, you know, turn over your soil and expose it every year. You know, things that are really different than how we conventionally ag, reducing the amount of fertilizer they put on their field, nitrogen and N2O are obviously, obviously a very extreme, extremely potent greenhouse gas. And it was like, hey, these farmers are, are doing these practices that are proven to draw down carbon into the atmosphere. And the you know, governing question and you know, one of the mantras at Indigo is, is, is from questions we grow. So uh, one of the um, you know, governing mantra, the questions of this was like, how do we encourage more growers to do it? Because it still is a really small number of growers who are drawing down carbon from the atmosphere, producing, you know, healthier crop as a result of healthier soil, using less synthetic inputs and and being more profitable as a result of that. Like how do we help them, you know, in this change process? And it really is about supporting and incentivizing change to drive regenerative practice adoption at scale. And we're a couple of years into that journey. I won't, I won't say we've delivered on the potential, the promise, we've gotten it perfect yet, but you know, that's really um Indigo in a nutshell, and then, you know, more specifically where our focus is around, around Indigo Carbon, which we're, we're pretty excited about. Very cool. And there's a lot to unpack there, but. Sure. Uh, yeah. Tell me what I'm Yeah. One of the things when I first heard about regenerative ag, it may, seemed like it makes so much sense, but it's also very different than the standard way of industrial agriculture. The way things have been, seems like last, I think since the seventies or eighties fertilizer, the green revolution came on and people started to realize with heavy machinery and increased use of fertilizer, you could kind of skip steps and you don't have to depend on natural cycles. So I guess, could you just give the listeners a little bit of, you mentioned crop rotation, no-till, reduced fertilizer. What are some other components of regenerative agriculture that helps restore that natural cycle, increasing the microbes in the soil and the overall, uh, I guess, benefits to the soil and to the farmer and to the end consumer who's actually eating these, <laughs> all this food that we're growing? Yeah, totally. And, and you're right. It's actually, it predates the seventies, you know, kind of unfortunately for all of us. Um, there's a, you know, we, you know, really industrial agriculture. And as you mentioned, the chemical revolution, we've been in this pursuit of yield and there have been benefits to that for sure. Like we are feeding an increasingly populated planet. That's a good thing, you know, but it also has unintended benefits. I mean, unintended consequences like releasing, you know, as we till our soil and turn over the soil, it exposes the soil, it causes decarbonization of carbon in that soil, it reduces soil structure. And as a result, it you know, it, it is contributing to global warming, but also degrading the carbon content of our soil. The National Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, not, as, not associated with us explicitly, but has a great campaign going right now called uh, 30 Harvests, in which they're you know ringing the bell for the fact that, you know, hey, our, our food system based on, you know, the carbon content degradation we've been causing, you know, has a limit, has a limit to the amount that we're going to be able to continue to, to feed each other. So this is a, a climate problem as well as, you know, just a, an overall food system problem. And to answer your question, uh, we think about regenerative agricultural practice adoption 
you know, really in, in, in five large categories, of which there are, are many subcategories. You know, the first is you're supporting plant farmers in planting cover crops, which has a couple of benefits. One, you increase the amount of organic activity and photosynthesis. Like we're, we're talking about a super, like we're a tech company talking about the most simple technology uh, we all learned in, you know, in fourth grade, right? Um, that uh, just increases the amount of photosynthesis that happens on soil. So as more root structure is built, there's more decomposition in the soil. Um, it also protects soil from uh, erosion and you can, you know, you can incorporate legumes into your cover crop mix. You know, maybe it's a clover, you know, which are, are nitrogen fixing and restore soil. So that's one, cover crops. Two, you know, reduce the amount that we're tilling our soil, you know, going to a low till or no till system. So again, maintaining soil structure, not turning it up every, you know, a, a few a number of times a year. Three, we support farmers in thinking about how they might rotate their cash crops. So rather than just monocropping or even just a, a very small rotation, you know, incorporating other crops into that system in order to increase microbial diversity, create a more healthy ecosystem. And then fourth one is, you know, rebalancing inputs. And, you know, as you build your nutrient content in the soil through this process, you can start to, you know, tone down, you know, some of your synthetic inputs and still maintain, you know, your production of, of your, your cash and, and feeding crop, which is also very important. So, you know, and again, reduce emissions like that, that's huge and reduce the amount of chemicals that are running off our fields into our waterways, right? And the last one is, is incorporating livestock and holistic livestock management. Um, uh, there's a, you know, the, a documentary that recently came out on Netflix um, called Kiss the Ground, highlighting some of this. And yeah, I love it, that. Was, it, was, it was pretty great watching Woody Harrelson so basically good. give the pitch we give all the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. he just, he's, this is, he's better at this than I am. And, uh, and, and it's helpful, but that, that's a really good resource for if you just want to learn about a, what regenerative agriculture is and the potential there. The last thing I'll just, add in before we, you know, maybe we talk about how Indigo is driving people to Absolutely. this is, you know, we do support farmers in thinking about this as a journey, right? Yeah. Like it would be pretty uh, extreme to go from, you know, how did your, you know, your grandfather, your parents and you have farmed the same way for a long time. Let's just switch whole hog to adopt all of those. And, and most of the time you're seeing, you know, the pioneers in this space, folks like Gabe Brown, you know, start to, you know, first adopt, lower till um, systems, then, you know, start to implement cover crops as they go, start to then, you know, you're implementing livestock, you're reducing your nitrogen application or some, or, you know, synthetics in some way and integrating livestock pollinator strips, like you can get, you know, pretty, pretty creative and, and people are, and, you know, so much of this is let's help set farmers on this goal. Let's incentivize them in the right way. And then they're going to be the innovators in this space. They're going to get better at this than we could ever prescribe. Yeah. Um, just how do we how do we get this system in headed in the right direction, frankly, then then the wrong direction, which is I, I think where we're where we're going now with our soil. Sure. And I think that's a really good point for sustainability in general, whether it's regenerative agriculture, environmental impact, because it doesn't have to all happen at once. That's a lot of change. Humans are not good at making uh, significant behavioral changes. And then I'd imagine once a farmer makes a small change, they start to notice, oh, I don't have to pay as much in fertilizer. I don't have to use as much. Uh, my soil mm -hmm. becomes more resilient. It retains water better. There's a bunch of beneficial um, aspects that arise from t making small changes. And then they're incentivized to take those extra steps to kind of go all the way. I just want to touch on real quick before we move on to the carbon offset piece, the idea of probiotics for the soil. I think GMOs are obviously a very complex topic pretty charged, but in some of my research for this, I heard a comparison that 
basically herbicides and pesticides and glyphosate can be, the analogy can be made towards antibiotics for plants and soil, where you kill whatever could, whatever pests could potentially harm the soil or the microbes of the plant and potentially kill them. But you also weaken the soil and weaken the ability to basically have healthy soil and protect itself. And then you need fertilizer, which are, you know, based on fossil fuels. And you basically have a weaker, potentially weaker plant with less nutrients and less uh, resilience. Is that an okay analogy to kind of make? That's no, that's really good. I, I would, I, I would make a slight distinction sure. there. Just I think you're talking about two very important issues within the agricultural space. You know, I will just say like staying away from the GMO debate, sure, like, sure. We, <laughs> like the, the probiotic, you know, for plants is, you know, it, it's really going on seeds. We're not amending the seed construct or the genetics of a, of, you know, the farmer's seed. Like this is about, you know, helping that seed flourish as a result of the microbial activity around it, which gets to exactly your point, right? Like, which is if you apply fertilizers, which is another major issue in agriculture, right? Or, or herbicide, you're right. It's just like applying an antibiotic to your belly's probiotic, right? Yeah. You kill the, the problem, which is good, but you also have the, like, the reason you shouldn't take antibiotics every day if you don't have a sickness is uh, you also kill all those really good microbes and all the diversity in there that's, you know, I think we're more and more discovering, like, can drive all kinds of things about our behavior and how we feel. Um, and I think nature is the same way, right? Like, diversity is something we absolutely have to encourage and embrace across all nat our natural systems, and that includes within our agricultural system. And so I think that's largely what regenerative agriculture is. It's about creating and enabling uh, you know, diversity to flourish and you know, natural systems to kind of do their thing and help like regulate and govern themselves. And you know, Paul Hawkins says it, and we quote it all the time, but like we, we do a lot better when we stop fighting nature and, you know, we start working with nature. And I think that's, that's heavily the principle, which we're trying to apply. Yeah. Can you give a little context about, I guess, the opportunity and the scale of the solution that is uh, carbon credits based off of regenerative agriculture and how Indigo Carbon is kind of working towards scaling that up? Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, let's just first set the context with the scale of the problem, but we'll, yeah. we'll reframe it as the scale of the opportunity. So you know, recent IPCC reports, I think it's it's pretty common zeitgeist that agriculture is one of the largest uh, contributors to global warming, you know, as an industry overall. And, you know, there's increasingly, hopefully, awareness that we want to work to reduce, decarbonize agriculture. And the exciting thing about regenerative agriculture is it highlights the potential of soil to go from being, you know, one of the larger emission sources to one of the largest carbon sinks, um, you know, that we have along with, you know, our oceans and our forests. Um, and so, and, you know, and, and the, the very cool added benefit of that is we're not like taking those out of production. We can continue to, you know, feed ourselves and help those natural systems become part of, you know, the climate solution, which yeah, I think is- So many co-benefits. Totally. So, you know, just in terms of scale of opportunity, like, you know, it's a huge emission source. Like it could be a carbon sink on a per acre basis. Within the US, there are 300 million acres of row crops alone, like scale that up across acres wow. of, of on agriculture globally. And we did a study through our technology satellite platform, which is really like a living map of the world called Indigo Atlas, you know, and found like less than 1% of growers are really stacking these practices and doing multiple of them in a way that we would think about encouraging a regenerative system. And so, 
it, you know, there's a huge opportunity for helping those pioneers uh, practices that they're showing work, you know, scale more broadly. And then, you know, the question that gets to, and, and tell me if I'm, I'm jumping the gun is like, how do we do that? Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, and that's what really what Indigo Carbon is all about. Sure. Yeah. Maybe before we get to scaling it up, talk a little bit yeah. about the benefits of the farmers. I'm not a farmer myself, but from what I know, it's obviously all grueling, grueling work, razor thin margins uh, and very commoditized. So I imagine any increase in efficiency, profitability is very much welcome. What are the benefits from adopting regenerative agriculture? We talked about uh, soil health, water retention, mm-hmm. um, yeah. resilience, and how does indigo, ag- indigo carbon help farmers kind of adopt those? What are the benefits that the farmers that you work with see? Yeah, yeah. So let's just talk about regenerative ag, whether yeah. you work indigo or anybody, it has benefits you know, beyond distributed benefit of working to, to fight climate change, you know, specifically improved drought tolerance on farm, right? Better flood resistance. So you're both like, you're re- retaining water more, but you're keeping your source, your water becomes more porous. So you'll see a regenerative field next to a conventional field after a big rain and the regenerative field will have absorbed that water, be holding it. And it'll just be all pooled yeah. and flooding field and the seeds and the you know young crop on the next field. So there's a resilience element of it, which is increasingly important because we're also trying to not just fight climate change, but adapt to climate change. You can, you know, drive more nutrient rich crops. You can, you know, um, and then and reducing those costs, those inputs yeah. while, you know, maintaining and driving yields is, is hugely important. That said, like, let's also acknowledge that I didn't make that up that you know there are farmers who have been talking about these benefits and you know we'll have we have farmer partners who will say like hey like i'm my my crop is outperforming my neighbor's crop i'm doing all these things and they still tell me i'm crazy right because it's just different from it's different than conventional agriculture and change is hard like let's just acknowledge that change for anybody is hard we're asking like for a pretty significant change on businesses and you know if you know the farming industry and how you just mentioned it but like how difficult it is to be a farmer you know, their profitability is extraordinarily thin, right? Like yeah. often you're, it's kind of a yield to cash flow business. So you're, you know, you're often, you know, really banking on that yield this year, you know, to, to support your whole business and keep it going. And so any change feels like that might put that at risk. And so, you know, I think what, if, if, if I may, what, you know, Indigo Carbon does most simply is, is three things, like just three things. And probably the most important takeaway of the podcast, if you're trying to get to know Indigo Carbon a little bit, you know, the first is it, it is really hard to incentivize something if you can't accurately measure the impact. And uh, it gets really hard to set up a system for incentivizing if you can't, you know, help people like, no, my dollars went to drive this impact, right? So yeah. Indigo is really applying all of its technology capabilities to bringing down the cost of measurement and verification of soil carbon accumulation and reduction of impact on farms in a way that is also that is both scalable and brings down that cost but also increases transparency and increases the integrity of that measurement and can't understate that how critical that is it's been an impediment because my you know soil is such a complicated biological system right like and so, and there's variability within that biological system. And this is where technology can really help, both in terms of data capture, you know, getting a lot of data on every acre. And I should just clarify here, data access and farmer data ownership is extremely important issue and a really important issue to us. We don't own any farmer data. 
we, um, with their permission, gather data that enables us to uh, produce the measure of the impact that they are producing as a result of the regenerative practices that they adopt. And that measure is governed um, by new protocols under what are really the leading carbon measurement standards in the world um, in the carbon registries that exist. And yeah. we have worked through coalition processes with the Climate Action Reserve, which in addition to having a voluntary carbon registry also supports and is a registry for the California compliance uh, uh, climate system uh, to produce a, a new and, and first of its kind soil enrichment protocol for just what we're talking about, like the guidelines for measurement, the guidelines for verification, transparent audit, ensuring like replicate replicability. Yeah. Um, and trust me, it's, it's not easy. It's a, it's, it's like a, it, like these markets, ecosystem markets like exist based on the amount of integrity and rigor we have there. And this is a very rigorous protocol. Um, and so uh, that is all hard, but it's a choice we made as Indigo to say, look, the other side of this system is the people who will pay for this impact. And how do we you know, help people who are trying to meet their climate goals connect directly with farmers? Um, but before I get to that, which is a third pillar of what we do, so one is measurement and verification. Two, and, and measurement verification gets all the attention. It probably should. It's technology. It's sexy. Sure. Um, but you know, it's satellites, that kind of thing, right? Like, but you know, I, I won't. I don't want to discount the fact that another thing we do is we're working very hard to support growers in what is the right transition for them. Like, help them like really reduce the risk cost. You know, so, hey, what's like, you know, the right plan for my soil type, my cash crop, my, you know, farm and where I am, like, how do we meet with me where I am? How do I connect with other growers who have done this? Um, and, and that's partly technology and, for example, like a tool that helps them see the impact they could have on carbon sequestration as a result of X, Y, and Z, you know, inputs in their field or, um, you know, uh, again, like, you know, digital uh, technology and connections to others. So, that's, that's two, and certainly a very big piece of our technology and investments to enable this system. And then three is, uh, you know, where I spend a lot of my time, what keeps me up at night is how do we get farmers, you know, fairly and appropriately and effectively compensated for adopt making this change. So we mentioned like the benefits of just regenerative agriculture that can take a couple of years to accrue. But if you've ever, you know, talked to farmers like about, you know, selling them a a couple year payback solution, even if it's only a few years, like that's tough. Like, again, these are, sure, you know, sure. like the way the businesses are, like they have to be like, okay, I gotta, I gotta work on this year's yield. And so, um, you know, not, not all farmers, like some are thinking about it broadly, but if we want this to really scale um, and also to fairly pay growers for delivering a service to that all of us desperately need to avoid a climate crisis, that's where uh, the easiest way we've, We've built to do that is a, and to make sure the value goes to the people who are creating the impact is using the carbon offset system, which, you know, is again, like regulated, there is protocols and we are producing really the first soil carbon, agricultural carbon offset from regenerative agriculture under these new protocols. Um, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to say like uh, that commitment to working with the registries yeah. uh, to our farmers, like, you know, you're meeting IPCC standards for what you have to do to produce a carbon credit. Our partner farmers has also led to uh, 
buyers stepping up. And, and it was a little tough in year one. Let me tell you, when we were talking sure. to farmers, like, hey, do this. Like, <laughs> no. And they were like, who the heck is on the other side of this? Who's a carbon credit buyer, right? Yeah, like, is this snake oil? You know, what are you selling me? It's like, you know, what are you selling here? You know, but now, like, leading brands that are either in the food system and connected to this, like, I know you have, uh, you're connected to New Belgium through, through some of your work. Like, just think the world of, of that team. I know you've had Katie on, and yeah. she is incredibly thoughtful. And, you know, so they, they're stepping up as, a, you know, someone who's made a commitment to the results the farmers produce, um, which we are in the process of, we necessarily don't control the audit of that. And that's happening right now. And for our first year and, you know, others in the food system, like Maple Leaf Foods, we've worked hard to, uh, you know, show that folks outside of the food system, like some of the ESG leading banks are stepping up to commit to these carbon purchases, like a JP Morgan, Barclays, uh, you know, and, and they're excited about trying to drive large scale change and a yeah. new climate solution and, you know, uh, you know, a, a payment for results scheme. So, you know, this kind of three, those three systems, the farmer, you know, Indigo working on the technology and, and supporting the quantification as well as the program, you know, and those, uh, the folks in where is an increasingly growing carbon market make this possible. And then the other thing we've explored recently with folks like the North Face is like, hey, let's, let's talk about in addition to like paying them for the more results a grower produces, let's also say like, hey, you're also producing us a, a differentiated cotton. And is there, you know, based on, you know, uh, quantified and, and high integrity data can, you know, let's also reward them if we're, if we're buying this cotton. So, I, you know, that's, that's all emerging. That's part of the fun part of my job is figuring out how we work with customers. Um, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, again, what we're, what we're excited about it. Yeah. And that transparency piece is key, um, especially in the carbon offsets as I'm learning more and more without the verification through climate action reserve and Vera, then, You'd just be basically in the voluntary market where individuals are buying carbon offsets, but there's rigorous standards. And then large corporations, governments, municipalities who require those certifications or verifications for their carbon offset purchases can buy from you. Um, so that's yeah. a really cool piece as well, just to get a little bit in the wonky side, but that verification yeah, yeah, is sorry, critical that got a little to scale. Totally, totally great. Yeah. Totally. So the idea of scaling regenerative ag and regenerative agriculture carbon offsets is kind of the goal. It's a huge impact and a huge opportunity as well. And I first heard about Indigo Ag through David Perry and he's being interviewed and asked, how do we scale this? This sounds amazing. It sounds like it isn't quite easy. There is behavioral change, but how do we actually scale this? And his response is, every farm has a farmer and we're finally incentivizing them. So not only do they see the benefits that we mentioned, but it's also another, another revenue stream in addition to the crop they're growing. They get paid for the verified carbon offset. So could you talk a little bit about how Indigo Carbon is going about scaling um, the solution? Yeah, totally. Well, I, you know, I think I think you mentioned it, but and and just a couple of things to to build on that. Like, first, I do think that's really exciting, right? Is yeah, like there's a farmer on every farm, and if we support them in the right way to change behavior and adopt these practices, they can start sequestering carbon. And the exciting thing about this is, it, it they can start happening in the first year, right? Like. We, we do expect and see, and most of the science will support like a, uh, you know, an S-curve, not a ramp as you, as you go and you adopt more of these practice seals, you'll just sequester more, you'll be able to earn more for carbon credits, but you really can start seeing an impact, a measurable impact in soil uh, accumulation or reduction in emissions from that first year. And, you know, in agriculture, you know, I think the opportunity we see 
and the thing we're working to deliver on and why our early partners are so important in catalyzing this change is it's you know, people meet at the uh, coffee counter, you know, in your local community and start talking about, hey, like there's an opportunity to really, as you said, kind of add another crop. Like we're yeah. going to grow our, our main crash and then let's let's grow carbon. Let's grow carbon in soils. And again, a governing philosophy for us is, is farmers are going to be more innovative than us in how they do that. Let's put in place the right incentive. Let's measure for results, which is I think a key element of this. Of this, let's pay for results, and then you know there there's a, a scale opportunity here. And you know I will say the early results, like we're we're early in this, we're in, in season two, um, are really encouraging. You know we we had a very large number of growers in the U.S. reach out to us interested in this program. Um, we're, we're working through that. Like, you know, there's a, a element of how, you know, first year was the, the smallest year we'll have. And, you know, we've had a significant increase of growers we're working with in year two, but, you know, not, not on the order of 300 million acres across the U S and, and certainly not on the order of, um, uh, the globe. And, and there are others, you know, in the agricultural ecosystem that, you know, are starting to talk about how they can support farmers in regenerative practice adoption, both at the corporate level you know, down to other ag players. And, you know, I'll just say, like, I think it really bothers me when we all start talking about climate solutions, given the size of the problem as like a competition. And, you know, we are actively talking to that whole ecosystem about, hey, how do we, how do we partner with you to really scale? Because there's a lot of infrastructure here. And like, like I would say our fundamental thing is we support farmers in adopting these practices and we measure the impact. Yeah. And just for anybody listening out there, if, if that sounds like a way we could plug into your ecosystem, like that's exciting to us. Yeah, those are two really good points that, you know, SDG 17 is all about partnerships and collaboration. Without collaborating, there's no way we can actually take the action necessary. And there is no one climate solution. Um, that was another mm-hmm. takeaway from the last totally. couple of years I've picked up on from uh, Project Drawdown is it's a mosaic of solutions and we need them all and everyone has a different role to play depending on their skill set and background and I guess where they're located so so one of the things I'm really interested in is kind of the connection between individuals collective community action and then I guess larger business policy national international level how can individuals support regenerative ag how can they interact with this uh, I guess day-to-day or at the individual level yeah, well, listen, I mean, I think we all have, are making choices every single day and, you know, it's a little bit cliche to say, but like, you know, putting our, we should put our dollars where our, our values are. And I think we all should be aligning our values with the existential threat of climate change. So, you know, supporting companies that are, you know, investing in a regenerative system, whatever that means for their company, I think is, uh, is, is, is one specific to Indigo Ag, you know, I would say, um, you know, we have worked hard to, to partner with brands who um, are committed to high integrity climate action. And they are, uh, you know, actually, we this sounds a little transactional, but, you know, like I say to folks all the time, like, you should be buying these credits, like you should be supporting farmers. And I say buying it, but really, it's you're, you're supporting farmers in adopting this and you're paying them per ton of impact. And that's should be part of your corporate responsibility. But also you should get more value for this than you pay for it. Just like that, like that is truly how we're going to scale this climate solution on the buyer side or on the supporter side or on the corporate side or on the individual side. And so, you know, as individuals, let's, let's help them do that. Let's support those brands. 
I think we're seeing really interesting action happening from employees for companies like you know you're, you're like demanding you know continue to demand all those out Absolutely. there like action from your employer, you know and and you know, we're seeing boards we're seeing really interesting investor action with what happened with with Engine One and with uh, Exxon recently and you know cost of capital changes as a result of consumer sentiment that are driving you know like you know, very significant seismic shifts here within the ecosystem. And, and it all starts with, with us as individuals. So, you know, I would say that's, that's one. And then of course, like, you know, invest in your local food system. Yeah. Think about buying local, think about, you know, supporting individual farmers. Like one of the things we really focus on Indigo is, is putting the farmer forward as a hero in the climate fight. And, you know, part of our mission here is like, how do we connect the farmer who's creating the carbon credit or the food, you know, with the folks, on the other side of it, either the employees or the companies that are working with us or their consumers. And it doesn't have to be that way. You could also connect with your local farmer and, and support them in this journey as well. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to see how this can scale and move forward. What is something that you wish more people knew about regenerative ag and soil carbon credits? No, I, I, I think the most important thing to remember about, about the relationship with regenerative ag and soil carbon credits is that like, cause offsets I do think should be part of a corporate solution. That's key. Like there is like, we all, we cannot be just doing things outside of our own house. We need to be cleaning up our own house, avoiding reducing uh, our emissions and, and the brands we are working with are, and it, you know, it's really great to see so many terrific professionals thinking that thoughtfully about it. And I think that there is a really exciting financing mechanism for change, driving change that exists within the offset structure. And you know, there are, are, it isn't a perfect system, but I think that remembering that, like it really is about driving change, like that commitment to buy that verified and measured ton of impact, you know, is a signal to the folks on the ground, so driving that change that there's value to be created here. And so, our early partners, in my view, are, are like at the forefront of changing agriculture, right? Like it's their commitment that enables this whole system to work. And a carbon offset because of the requirements around additionality of which we are extremely committed, you know, we, ha like we have to prove, we have to pass an additionality test through, our, um, through the audit that on, on every single field that is qualified for indigo carbon, they changed behavior. From what they were doing previously and it's a comparison on their field previously from the baseline that they had before they joined the program to you know a new practice that they've adopted and then being able to extract out and measure that impact is is the science that we're applying and so i, I just think that's so exciting like being able to you know if you're a corporate or a person who's thinking about buying offsets or thinking about buying assets from agriculture and specifically like you're part of a very early stage of what I hope will be a large scale change across agriculture. So I've said that word like 40 times and, you know, and I hope that's okay. No, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. By the way, sidebar, the verified, transparent and verified ton of impact is such a better way of describing what you're doing. I feel like that uh, sometimes totally. things get wonky and people don't understand the jargon and that's just so to the point and spot on. Uh, especially to the average person, cool. such a better way of communicating what's actually happening. Yeah. Well, again, sidebar, like not to give away Indigo too much, but like I'm pretty agnostic in how it gets paid for. Like, you know, that's like, 
again, this gets Jeremy gets us really deep in like carbon accounting world, but you know, the greenhouse gas protocol right now is going through a way of like incorporating that into people's supply chains. And like the offset is a really useful mechanism because it's established because we created a protocol and we need that. We need auditors. But as these other frameworks catch up, it's going to get more, what I think is cool about my job is I get to be more creative in how we actually get the payment flowing to the farmer in the way that works with the corporate goals, works within these frameworks, um, and and drives the most meaningful change. You know, so anyway, that's that's where we're going here. Absolutely, the storytelling piece to sustainability and impact is really interesting to me. You're obviously very good at communicating regenerative agriculture and the benefits of carbon credits. What are you seeing as kind of best practices or? How can we storytell better and communicate the actual impact to the average person so it's more tangible? That's the one thing I keep coming across talking to friends yeah. that and other athletes that are not in as into it as I am. And they're like, well, can I go like go to the park and plant some trees? They want to offset my carbon footprint. Like they want that tangible, get my hands dirty. Like, what does this actually mean? And I feel like the storytelling and messaging is a really critical component of that. Man, I, t- I totally agree. You know, and, I, and here I'll say too, Jim, I'll just start with, I, I'm learning a huge amount, thankfully, from our really smart partners within corporate social, you know, sustainability groups who are also thinking really creatively about this and, you know, working on how we engage with their stakeholders. But I, I also am, uh, we'll, we'll pat ourselves on the shoulder a little bit and say, I think that's a key value proposition also of working with Indigo and, and supporting Indigo partner farmers. Again, this idea that like, we wanna partner with our stakeholders to create value for them, to both enable them to continue to justify to their boards and CEOs that there's a business case to being more sustainable, but also to other brands who are competing with them or looking at them as examples. And I do think our brand, like the New Belgiums, like the, you know, like others out there are, are examples to others that, that we wanna help support. And so, you know, you know, kudos to our marketing team, which I think is really thoughtful about this, you know, and, and thoughtful about both like applying a couple of principles and then being uh, creative. And I just say the main principle, I think with environmental and sustainability claim making is uh, just a, a huge bias towards accuracy, like accuracy, talking about exactly what you are doing in the environmental community. We have absolutely been, uh, you know, like, guilty of overstatement, you know, misstatement and indigo, we have for sure made that problem mistake, like I'll cop to us absolutely not being perfect here. But you know, I think, you know, especially as we've entered into relationships around indigo carbon with our front, like that's, that's what starts all our conversations is let's be really authentic in the impact we're creating. Because by the way, like this is a great story to be a part of. And like, I think we're, no one is anybody is questioning anybody's motives. Like we're all really committed to real change. And then the second thing I will say, uh, you know, is then I think it is about getting creative and making this tangible to people. And as I said, I think I've said this before in this in this podcast, but like, you know, a, a key for us is, you know, we're working with a pretty unlikely stakeholder in the climate fight. Like farmers are not always ideologically even on, on, aligned with us. And, you know, sometimes with those farmers, like we'll be talking about soil health and conservation, which they completely understand, like to a farmer. While maybe, you know, the broader climate change, you know, or policy that needs to happen around climate change of which we're actively involved in, you know, is maybe not the focus of that discussion, but, you know, bringing the farmers with their permission who want to be part of this dialogue, you know, as, you know, and their community representing their communities and rural communities as key stakeholders in the climate fight, 
I do think is a really unique thing about agriculture as a climate solution and little plug here that like that's that's why it'd be great to hear from anybody else who's interested in this space because uh, it only happens with farmers and with the other folks on the other side of this ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's a piece that gets overlooked too is not only is there the huge opportunity on the climate solution side, but you're also improving jobs and lives and it's a rural uh, job creator as well. It's driving more revenue to For rural sure. cities and rural sure. communities. All right. On to our quick hitters, which are sometimes quick okay. and sometimes not so much. So take it whichever direction you so choose. What is your go-to spot to get into nature? Do you have a local park or hike or mountain? Yeah, I'm, I'm always a little, I'm a little bit wary to, to reveal this one, although it's so hard to get to, uh, I probably am okay. So my, my place is, is Steak in Washington, which is tucked very in, much in the center of the North Cascades. It's uh 55 miles, 54 miles up Lake Chelan. There's about 25 miles from the nearest road. And my grandfather, who grew up in Seattle, bought a little cabin at the end of one of the two roads before there was a national park. You know, partly he was interested in conservation, partly he was a big hunter and fisherman. And my family still owns that cabin, which my wife has subsequently informed me to me is a, is a shack, maybe not even called a cabin. <sighs> But you know, both of my parents are artists and we grew up in Oakland, California. And so at the end of the school year, kind of just pack up my dad's truck and we drive up with our stuff and his canvases in to Stahican and spend the entire summer without internet or telephone. It's certainly not internet back Sounds then, but so not, good. not telephones and you know, no TV and you know, you leave the house at eight AM as a ten year old and you come back after dark and you're fine as long as you don't fall in the river. So uh, that's uh, that continues to be place I go to recharge. We're, we're yeah. having my my sister's wedding celebration there this summer now that COVID is behind us. Oh, and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I've got some family summer. friends up in uh, Pacific Northwest. If when if and when I move, I'm probably moving up there. And yeah, I've been to Lake Shaman oh, yeah, uh, once or twice, actually for volleyball of all things. They have a uh, yeah. club up there and it's just gorgeous. And I've heard Stahican is amazing. So for sure. Yeah, it's it's completely unique. Yeah. Is there a daily routine or action that's had an outsized impact in your life? So I, I guess it's a little cliche, but I, have a, I now have a one-year-old. And, oh, man, you're uh, in it. Yeah, I'm My in it. My son's almost sure. five. So, so any other routines days. are gone, for sure. Uh, but I will, you know, I will also, you know, it, it, you know, it's cliche to say, but it's, it's totally refreshing to, after, especially after a tough day or a tough meeting or something, to spend time with someone who absolutely does not care. Yes. And uh, is, is an awesome person to to spend time to and increasingly becoming a, an amazing little human. Um, but then, the, and then, you know, the other thing I'll add is I also am pretty committed still to, to my own like hobbies and trying to balance that with family yes. and work. And I, I tend to get pretty obsessive, especially with like different sporting skills and particularly like ball sports that involve like kinetic hitting of things <laughs> that are broken in my brain that is interested in that. Where do you get your information? Are there any magazines, websites, authors you read regularly, podcasts or newsletters you subscribe to? Yeah, well, first of all, I love that you're doing this, Jeremy, because increasingly I, I think there's an ecosystem of interesting podcasts out there, but there wasn't until recently. Yeah. I've just always been like, man, there was a gap in like, especially environment or climate solution focused podcasts, particularly around technology, which interests me a lot. You know, my climate journey is is one I listen to religiously energy gang is, yeah. is kind of the old school uh one that's been around for a long time and is carrying on even as Jigar shaw has left you know there's a few more are like that like you know and then I'll, I'll put a plug in for a recent newsletter like climate tech vc i just think that group 
whoever those people are that are putting together, I don't really even know them, but they're doing such a great job of a weekly digest of, of all the things that are happening. Yeah, great. And then, you know, I went to Middlebury College and was there when Bill McKibben and the team that was thinking about 350.org. So like, you know, he's still a voice I listen to a lot and, and you know, others like the Paul Hawkins in the world have been doing this for a long time. Is there a book you'd recommend to someone just starting to get curious about regenerative? Oh, that's a hard one. I've, I don't know how many <laughs> I've said that so far. Yeah, yeah. A book about regenerative ag or impact? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think uh, Dirt to Soil by Gabe Brown is is a really good place to start and to hear his journey and him doing regenerative agriculture before there there was even a term regenerative agriculture and the impact he's been able to, been able to have in, in, you know, cutting synthetics out of his system. And he'll tell you, not because I was trying to achieve an environmental outcome, just because I didn't want to pay for him. And uh, I think that's pretty darn powerful. You know, I'll, I'll just take that question in a slightly different direction. Although around regenerative agriculture, like I, you know, am, am a huge fan of of Wendell Berry's poetry and his writing, and in particular some of his his poems. And he writes also about regenerative systems. And he's you know a farmer poet. I think that's a really interesting resource and a place to get inspired and recharge. I'll also just mention the having a kid now. I, I like I'm kind of drawing connections here and like. Yeah, we're, we're constantly reading now like Miss Rumpheus uh, to, to him about, you know, making the world more beautiful and planting more plants. And um, like uh, We Are Here by Oliver Jeffers uh, and a guide for living on planet Earth. I, I think these are, you know, it's amazing how many children books are just basically conservation values. Sure. And yeah. No one ever like reads a, a book about, you know, pursuing shareholder value or something like that as a child. So we, uh, it's a, it's a good reminder. Yeah. That's, that's we need to get back to. Yeah. My son's favorite book is the Lorax. And I don't know how many times I've read know. that. And Dr. Seuss is uh, just. And you're, you're, yeah, you're gnome to plur <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Once he found out that was my nickname, that quickly became his favorite book. And I can almost recite mm-hmm. at least the first half of it from memory. What are you uh, most curious about right now? If you had a month to research and go down any rabbit hole you want, what would you want to learn more about? Could be professional, um, non-professional. Yeah, I was going to say, like okay, stroke, wow. golf there's probably two things. I'm not a month to, to pursue a journey. It would probably be like Argentinian salsa and pick up a skill or pottery <laughs> or something like that. But I also think, um, let's see, I you know, I, I think around what we're focused on here, Jeremy, and, and climate impact, you know, I, I think that there is just this incredible boom of technology. And one of the theses that, I, that led me to Indigo was something I was doing you know, through a, a startup that was co-owned by my employer, BCG Digital Ventures, and the World Wildlife Fund, who I was on secondment with, uh, it was really around gathering high-quality data at scale and impact verification. And really, the thesis that, like, if you can measure it, you can help someone monetize it, and that monetization can be a driver of scale. And I think we're seeing a really significant boom in, in technology enablement around that. And then creative ways that people are implying that through incentive systems. And, you know, I, I think that that is a really yes. interesting thing to dig yeah. into. And as you get to that incentive systems, you really start to think about like, okay, what really changes behavior of like, what, what would you need to see? How can we get creative about, again, those like measure of impact we're creating an impact at Indigo and clicking into that, being able to see the farmer who created that ton and what's happening on their field now, like the data that connects to it. And, you know, like, how do we, use that to make this whole thing more tangible to someone and yeah. really everybody, right? Yeah, I recently read uh, Sir Ronald Cohen's book, Impact, and he makes the case for impact investing and how 
I guess we're already underway a shift towards, um, like you said, measuring impact in the financial markets, just like cost and risk are. And once that's more prevalent and more standardized, then many, many large corporations, banks, financial institutions are going to be shifting their behavior to, you know, adjust accordingly for climate change and the resulting impact. So what is something related to impact or sustainability you're beginning to, beginning to think differently about or didn't fully understand before? I think I'll use this to make a little shout out to, you know, the, the NGO community in particular, what's, you know, uh, the, the science-based target initiative, which is, uh, you know, an effort of a coalition of some of the larger environmental groups, as well as, um, uh, you know, you know, really it's, you know, World Wildlife Fund, WRI, others like that. You know, I have honestly never seen like a framework like this drive this kind of change. Like, I feel like, you know, we're now at 13 to 1500 companies that have committed to being in line with the Paris Accord through the framework that they're putting together. And it's resonating into the corporates I'm talking to and, you know, helping solution providers like us, like get an audience. Um, and then, you know, raising, you know, companies are committing to this in I think a very credible way. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, the power of, you know, that kind of thoughtful, you know, NGO, private sector, and, and increasingly, hopefully, government, um, you know, conversation, and then, you know, drive towards action, you know, which can feel really intangible, like, is this really going to drive change? I, you know, um, is really driving change from where I sit. And so it's, it's changing my perspective on the potential there. And, you know, I hope all the people that have been building that for years and are still managing it, uh, you know, are, are, are feeling really good about the results they're driving, because, um, yeah. And that's what I'm communicating to them when I speak to them. Very cool. Yeah. I feel like that process, just like you guys are laying out the process and just like uh, science-based target initiative is basically showing what are the metrics, what are the steps you need to do? I feel like for people just starting out with your individual business, it can be really confusing. What steps do I take? What are legitimate steps? What, why does this actually matter? I feel like those, that kind of process is super valuable and I'm still just beginning to understand it at the individual level, but it can, to have those resources and have someone kind of show you, show you the way is very, very helpful. And then to have that transparency piece too, is how you can legitimize it all. Totally. I, I will just caveat that with, I, I, I was reminded thanks to your podcast with New Belgium set of sustainability and Katie, uh, that even with these good frameworks and progress, very uh, too small a percentage of our Fortune yeah. 500s have actually committed to this. So progress, but but as as individuals and shareholders and everybody, we got to keep pushing. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. What is a strong first step or action someone can take to have a positive social or environmental impact in their life or community? You know, so I think we've talked about individual action you can take in the short term around consumer choice and or around. Um, you know, some of the, the, or just individual choice or, or pushing your, the places where you are a stakeholder, in particular, like employee, employment action. I've, I've been really inspired by some of that and the impact it's created. But maybe the thing I'll add to that is, um, is, is skill building and, and education and, you know, learning how to not just be passionate, but also be effective and, and be really skillful in your act, you know, how you apply your energy certainly have walked that balance in my career between, you know, this is a time where I'm maybe investing in myself. And this is a time where I'm, you know, maybe realizing that investment and, and you know, very focused on 
is something I'm extremely passionate about, like Indigo, although hopefully I'm doing both now. I'm certainly learning a lot. But um, you know, I think I think those are important things to think about in your life, you know, depending on your individual goals. Absolutely, completely agree. What is the impact you're working towards? Well, I, you know, look, I think it's what we're talking about, right? Like in, with Indigo, we're 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 trying to change agriculture from one of the largest emitters, uh, emitting industries to a carbon sink. It's kind of as simple as that and, and as small as that. We're as small as that. <laughs> um, you, know, uh, you know, obviously very, very, very long way to go on that. But, you know, that's really exciting. I think more broadly and, and personally, that, that means a, a sustainable natural system that, that delivers economic abundance to, to all of us and, and allows us to access that in an, in an equitable, equitable way, right? Like I, not sure I can, uh, you know, I, we could go deeper into that, but ho- hopefully that's sufficient for, for just broad life goals. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll bring you back on for a round two to get a little wonkier and go down some rabbit holes. Right. Where can people find more information about you, Indigo Carbon, Indigo Ag? You know, if you go to Indigo Ag, dot com you'll you'll get to our base page if you're interested in learning about indigo carbon or you know how you can potentially support you know farmers in this effort you know we've got you know an indigo carbon supporters page which lays out some of our current supporters you know highlights a number of the farmers we're working with you know goes into i'm sure more clarity on the this project than, than i was able to give you uh, or this this work that i was able to even give you jeremy but you know, so there's that. There's a way to contract us, me, through this page. But you know, my email is henwalker at indigoag.com, and very happy to hear from any of your listeners or, or folks interested in partnering up. Thank you again for taking the time, regenerative ag, and the work you're doing with Indigo Carbon and Indigo Ag. Really interesting, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Well, I really appreciate your having me on, Jeremy, and thanks for your time and for what you're building with this podcast and and getting the word out and. Uh, if you do uh, visit the Pacific or move or visit the Pacific Northwest, I'm I'm in Seattle right now. So um, uh, drop me a line, please. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Regenerative ag is a large topic, and there's a lot to unpack from this conversation. The thing that initially got me interested in regenerative ag and something that Noah emphasized is that this can really scale. It may not be easy for farmers to make these changes, but Indigo Carbon, Indigo Ag, and others are bringing technology, expertise, and financial incentives to help farmers grow in a more sustainable way, improving their margins, the soil, and the food we eat. I appreciate you listening to our impact. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, please let me know in the reviews. And if you enjoy these conversations, please consider sharing them with a friend. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.